Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garden Pepper Podcast. And today my guest is Ken Cartwright. Uh, Ken is a luthier. Um, that means he fixes guitars and other stringed instruments. But he's not aware that he's actually on right now, as I hear him rustling about. I am, but I'm, ah, there he I'm is. having, I'm having uh, some audio trouble on the phone here. Um, so let me take just a second and look at some settings, Gary. Hold on. Okay. I'll look at some settings here. So ladies and gentlemen, my uh, guest this evening is, is Ken Cartwright. He is a luthier. He used to have a Cartwright I uh, I forget what it was called, stringed instrument repair, uh, down in the Reed Opera House in Salem. What what was the name Salem. of your business, Ken? The uh, back in those right back in those days. Let's see, I might have been in uh, Natural Sound back in those days before it was Cartwright's Music Repair Shop. Mm. And you occupied that basement for years. I, I was downtown for a long time, yeah. and I uh, was in the basement of the Reed Opera House uh, from when? Uh, from about 90 to 99 when I moved over to Staten. Mm -hmm. That's just a fascinating thing they did down in the Reed Opera House, how, you know, you could walk by your shop and it was just magical with all the windows and you could just see all the guitars and stringed instruments and, you know, you guys in there tinkering and work, working these minute things out, you know, and, and kind of looking at, I, I, I particularly, I, I walked by there one day and you were assessing somebody's instrument for repair and just the intensity with which you looked at every facet, like it, it fascinated me. Well, the wonderful thing about um, a lot of my shops, but especially the Reed Opera House, like you said, especially in the lower level, because you didn't have daylight down there. You had lots of windows, large windows into the common area of that lower level. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would set our benches up near that so people who didn't come in, want to come in, could stand there and watch us. And we usually had about uh, three to four other craftsmen in there that were apprenticing. And uh, to this day, I get kids and grandkids uh, who come in and remember standing there watching us uh, massage a neck or replacing frets or pulling a bridge and it was a great experience for everyone mm -hmm. it's kind of magical it, the, the word is magical and and instead of hallways which would have really just made that basement completely unusable they they put glass in so all the spaces are open to to viewing it's, it, they're really doing right. good architect in, in that, whoever did that. Right. I, I don't remember who it was that after the Reed Opera House sold for the first time, um, there was a lot of realigning of that space, but it was just a magical place. All three floors where you could go into different shops and crash people and, uh, uh, different uh, people in disciplines of art. And it was completely and totally magic. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate that spot yeah. in Salem. So you've since moved out to Mill City. I did. Um, years ago, I made a threat to uh, wind up at Detroit Lake. And well, let's see, we moved to Staten. And then uh, I moved to Mill City. And now I live in Gates. You're inching your so way up I the hill. 
Oh, yeah, I'm getting closer. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. Uh, you know, actually, I'm very content here in Gates. It's a short drive to Mill City, and that's where the radio station is. Mm-hmm. And my shop is at home in Gates. So I'm, I'm in a good spot. I'm, I'm doing well. And what's the name of your uh, KYAC? Is that right? Is that your- yeah, KYAC Community Radio. It's an LP station that means low power mm-hmm. FCC license specifically for nonprofit non-commercial radio stations yeah and so how is that funded um, listener supported and we also work very hard uh, to identify grants that we qualify for mm-hmm. and uh, we massage larger donors constantly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. so you, you have some friends of the show then that's nice. We do. We've been on the air six years in July, mm-hmm. just coming into our seventh year. And uh, after I helped put KMUZ in Salem on the air and worked there a couple of years, I knew that an LPFM window was going to open up and I wanted to move um, further up the canyon. So when we moved up to Mill City, mm-hmm. That's when the window opened up, and it was the right time for Is this it. AM or FM? FM. So what's what's your reach? Twelve miles, fourteen. Uh, well, as we affectionately say, because of the canyon walls up here, from milepost eleven to milepost forty-seven, and uh, milepost eleven is the first exit into Staten. Milepost forty-seven is a mile before you get to Mongold up at Detroit Lake. Really? So you can listen to your show all the way up, which is interesting because you guys do the you, you stay in line with state police and you know what's happening up in the canyon. Right. We got a grant a couple of years ago, just before the the uh, eclipse. Uh, and it was also a critical fire season. We got and applied for a grant through the Marion County Commissioners to upgrade our antenna transmitter and uh, it allowed us to put a backup system in for emergency plus a small ham radio to stay in touch with uh, all the different emergency personnel and uh, that that set us up to be able to communicate to the canyon if there is a fire or if there is an accident uh, or an issue that we need to, to let uh, drivers on the highway know. So is there like an emergency signal boost that you get? Like you can employ a boosted signal? No, we you, you're locked in at 100 watts mm-hmm. and uh, that's it. But what it did allow us to do was upgrade our tower, which is now sitting up at a friend's house up behind Frank and Ferrer's Lumber Company. Mm-hmm. So we worked with uh, Pacific Power, partnered with them, to uh, bring us a fifty-foot uh, uh, telephone or power pole, nice. and put it in, and it allowed us to <clears throat> get a mast on top of that. So our elevation went from, oh gosh, nine hundred feet to eleven hundred, and with the FM, it's all about <clears throat> it's all about antenna height and power. Yeah. So we. we we got the height, and that that gave us some extra mileage. Well, how fun is that? So this has been a learning experience for you. It's it's all a part of life, which I love. I, I, there is not a day that I don't learn something new. Yeah, me too. 
And that's usually because I forgot it yesterday. <laughs> uh, right. R- repetition will take care of that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Repetition's taking care of my muscles. I've been moving a lot of dirt and, you know, my 58 year old body goes, you can get away with a couple days of good moving, but you're going to have to take a day off. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I want, I, I, I just want to get the stuff done. Stop it, body. Are you working on your house? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, so we had to move a fence, which changed the structure of our backyard enough so that where we had a gathering space, it would have been too small to do that. So we moved our sheds to the outside and we're going to move our fire pit to the middle of the yard. And I did nice. And it's all downhill to the creek. So we decided to create a plane. And really, it's it's a plane that would be in a very steep sloped yard. So it's it's a kind of plane. It's much more plainer than it was. Let's just now. Are you on the so so Silver Creek or uh yeah Silver Creek or Abiquah? Silver Creek. I'm Uh yeah just in town, still in town, and uh, yeah, it's it's nice being on the creek, especially on days like this. Oh boy. Right, and we too enjoy it. We're about 400 feet from the Sandy Am River. Oh, lovely. We can't see it from a house, but we open the windows at night and we can sure hear it. And it's just great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, pitched on Water Street. I'm just, you know, between two rivers. One's made of cars and the other's yeah, water. <laughs> yeah, I know that area pretty well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Luthering, you know, what is, how does one become a luthier? Well, you know, there's a, these days, there's a variety of ways and there really is no certification uh, unless you are fortunate enough to go to the two schools in the United States, which are vocational schools Mm. and or apprentice with someone who is a recognized luthier. But anybody can call themselves a luthier, and there's few that can really challenge it. And with the litany of videos available, uh, especially YouTube, it'll walk you through almost every aspect of a luthery. So it's it's easy enough to do if you want to train yourself. That's straight up meticulous, though, isn't it? I mean, you don't want to kind of... <laughs> grind on things too hard you know everything's pretty precise on a guitar or on a mandolin or on a bass or a violin even oh my god right well it's a it's all about experience and and i can tell you that when i started out as many people my age or even half my age there there were very few people around and so we all went out and bought junk things at yard sales and uh, we'd tear them apart or we'd analyze what was wrong with it. Or if there was a, a local person who had some skill set with it, you'd go to them and bag, beg for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy with glue and clamps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I, st- when I started out really doing repair work uh, full time and commercially, there were only two books available. And um, that was it. Everything else was, by gosh, by golly, take it apart, trial and error. Mm. In fact, Gary, you'll appreciate this. I had a shop in Coos Bay for about four years. Oh, you did? And, and, and I was really, really serious with my shop over there. Um, 
about doing repair work because they were desperate there for repair work. Closest place was Eugene, and it was a haul to get over there. Mm -hmm. So I, I tried to do a neck reset on a Martin, which is a common repair, but it takes, it's a pretty high skill level. It's one thing to get them off. It's another thing to get them back on. Right. right. And I ran into that on this project and I thought, oh man, I'm in deep doo-doo now. What do I do? Mm -hmm. So I called around to some of my friends and I said, who in the state is the most knowledgeable person that does Martin neck resets? And the name Bob Steiniger kept coming mm. up. And he was up in Portland at a shop called the 12th Fret. He was well known for his skill sets of that. And he, he also was a, a builder of fine instruments. He just, as I called him, he was just finishing up building two guitars for Don and Phil Everly, uh, mm. whose family had commissioned uh, a pair of guitars because they were reuniting for the first time in many years. Mm -hmm. And so I told him my dilemma and I said, well, what do I do here? And I said, uh, I, I really need to learn this. So if I, I've got the neck off and it came off clean. If I paid your fee, could I stand there and watch you set this neck? Mm -hmm. And he said, sure. Yeah. It's 450 bucks. Mm. And I said, uh, can I watch you in, in the course of a, a shift in your shop? Can I stand there and watch you? Maybe ask some questions. He said, yep, bring cash. So I drove to Portland mm -hmm. with the guitar. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd scheduled a date. And that's really how I learned to set next. That was sort of the, the big part of it. The rest of it was just doing enough of them that you get kind of intuitive and instinctive after a while and you fine tune mm -hmm. it. But, but that's, and I've done that with several difficult jobs, sought out experts and paid their fee, whatever their shop fee was, mm -hmm. to go watch them do it. And, and that's how I learned. Wow. Inter yeah, it's like you paid for your college that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I've heard that name before. I think Mark Seymour takes his guitars there. Well, they're still around. Mm -hmm. uh, Steiny, as we know him, Bob Steiniger, I think has finally retired from the business. Mm -hmm. uh, he did it for years and years and years. But yeah, the shop is still there. It's still a great shop. There's uh, three really good repair shops up there for string instruments, for guitars especially. But uh, 12th Fret, they've got years and years of experience. They are the first people I recommend when uh, I don't want to do somebody's instrument. Well, I think you're the fourth KMUZ um what would they call it? alumni that I've had on the show? Oh, really? Yeah, I've had Karen, I've, I've yeah. had Melanie, and I've uh -huh. had Mick. Yeah, and yeah. I haven't had Doug yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think is there well, somebody else who has a show? I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Jessica has well, a show. Well, let's see, Mark. Uh, has a show his Mark's last time he, he in fact in the basement of the Reed Opera House uh, while I was there my uh, my ex and I opened uh, a coffee house with a performing area mm -hmm. and we ran that for about a year and shut it down and then Mark Nasser was his oh yeah name. yeah we opened that up as a soup shop and he runs a folk program called Mashup with Mark on KMUZ He's a great interview. Mm -hmm. 
Mark's interesting, and he makes a good baklava, by the way. Oh boy, Hattie, I've 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 bid high dollars for his baklava during pledge. Training. Oh yeah, there you go. I think I uh, I did a paella for when you all were starting up. Right. And uh, David had to go somewhere, so I did it. And somebody said I burnt it. I didn't burn it. They just <laughs> they just don't know what sucka what what the sugars on the bottom are supposed to do. They're supposed to get a little crust. Yeah. That's your story, and oh, you're yeah, sticking to damn it. rights. That's my story. <laughs> Nobody else can have it. It's mine. But he, yeah, I didn't realize that somebody had said I burnt it until years later. <laughs> they didn't want to hurt your feelings. No. Gary. And then there's one guy who just wanted to eat all the chicken and not let anybody else have any. I was just like, uh-huh. "Come on, dude, you got to go." How much you donating? <laughs> okay, you can have more chicken. <laughs> nice. I think that was at Mark's house. I think you might have been at that one. No, I probably wasn't at that one. Oh, okay. Um, uh, let's see. Now, now, remember, before they started up, I had also, I was so desperate to try to get a radio station for the state area that I took two directions in order to get a radio station. First, I built and operated a LP AM. It's a low power AM station. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, uh, you can do one as long as you don't exceed 100 milliwatts. Mm -hmm. So that's one-tenth of a watt. Well, one-tenth of a watt doesn't get you very far. Mm -hmm. So I found a way to link three of these transmitters together around statements of limity in order to get the penetration I needed. Like a little Wi-Fi system. Well, the, no, actually. So you're translating, um, right? No, the uh, we well we use internet to get the signal. We had a little mm, PC mm-hmm. in each 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 one. To it was just a little PC receiver system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and a funny thing about that, funny story about it. I, I love broadcasting. Been at it for many many years. It's been a advocation and a vocation for me. I. We set it up so well that we had a really good signal, plus we streamed it. And uh, my girlfriend at that time and I decided to get married. And we're older people. I mean, I'm I'm almost 74. She's a couple of years older. And so we've been married uh, 11 years in October. You guys look lovely in your pictures, by the way. Well, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, it's cute as fuck. Living better through chemistry, I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said the F word, but this isn't broadcast, so. There we go. <laughs> That's right. However, uh, we knew because our families are spread out all over the east and the west coast. And I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so that'll give you some sense of spread out. Mm-hmm. We knew that we weren't going to be able to get them to come out here for the wedding. Mm-hmm. So I jokingly said, well, let's just get married on the radio. We stream it. Anyhow, we'll just have our, our wedding vows and we'll do it on the radio nice and we had a good we had a well we had a good laugh about it and the more i thought about it i thought you know that actually kind of makes sense if you could get tiny tim that'd be great so uh we started mentioning it to our circle of friends in oregon and they said well you'd stream it right yep well one thing led to another and word got out and opb came to me and said, is it true that you're going to get married on this little mom and pop radio station 
and state in Oregon and broadcast it via internet yes. to, to get your listeners and your friends to be at the wedding. And by, by then I'd made up my mind that we were going to do it. And I said, yeah, so we did. And a friend of ours who does a program at KYAC is a, a minister and um, he officiated. That was his first wedding on radio. Mm -hmm. In fact, other than a gay couple in San Francisco, we were the first people in the United States, according to the information at that time, to get married on radio and broadcast it via Internet. But I wasn't really interested <coughs> in those details then. Mm -hmm. So we have server stats so we can tell how many people are listening at any time. And we had over 1,200 people at our wedding, but we only had to buy dinner for seven. <laughs> That's the best. Oh, my gosh. So, That's, oh, but, yeah. Now you, got, now you got money for a honeymoon. But we uh, stay at home and work. But uh, the, the, the point I was getting to with that little uh, LPAM, which, by the way, we named it K-E-N-C. K E Ken C. Ken C. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cute. But I researched FCC database. You, first of all, on a low power AM station, you don't assign and you don't qualify for call letters because it's below legal broadcast levels. So you don't have to have them. So you don't. But I wanted it. I wanted to sound like a radio station. And I researched it. There had been a K E N C. But it went dark, and so nobody was using that. I thought, I'll just use that. It's my name. It's the first part of my email, K-E-N-C at W-V-I.com. It's been that for years. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what we named it. And uh, just before the wedding, the Oregonian picked up the story. And then OPB came in and did this story, and it went national. Hmm. And I was hearing from people I hadn't heard from in years. And it was uh, very flattering and it was a lot of fun. But there was a radio station in Portland who saw it in the Argonian. And they're jealous. Uh, full power stations <clears throat> are very jealous of other stations getting their audience. Our server stats were off the charts. People started listening to us. And so they went to the FCC inspector in Vancouver, Washington, and said, look, here's this guy. And they showed him the story and told them the story. There must be something you can do to shut this little guy down. There must be something illegal about his operation. We pay good money to have a, a license for our station. He doesn't. Maybe you should go pay him a visit. So... One day I'm in my shop, repair shop, working on an instrument. And this guy walks in and he says, are you Ken Cartwright? And I said, yeah, I am. He whips out his official FCC badge. And he said, I'm from the FCC in Vancouver. And I understand you're running an illegal radio station here. And I said, whoa, hold on, dude. You don't know anything about my radio station. He said, well, where's your studio? And I said, on the other side of my bench. He looked over there and he said, well, where's your transmitter and antenna? I said, on the other side of that wall outside on a 40-foot tower. He said, well, let's go look at it. 
And I said, well, I'm busy right now. Well, he said, this is official business. And I said, I'm busy right now. What's your complaint? Well, I think you're illegal. And I said, well, what evidence do you have that I'm illegal? Well, how many of these transmitters do you have linked up to that? And I said, one transmitter outside, one in sublimity, and the other one in between state and sublimity, and none of them are over 100 milliwatts. And the law doesn't say that I can only have one. It doesn't say how many I can have. Bear in mind that these little transmitters are kind of like these, uh, uh, along the highways there used to be signs, and there's still some that say, in the event of an emergency or inclement weather, tune your radio to such and yeah, such. Yeah, 1420, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's all it is. It's even less wattage than that. It's less wattage than your garage door opener. That's why it sounds like crap. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But we engineered the audio on it. We got it right. Anyways, he started flicking me some crap and I finally threw him out of my shop. I threw him out. I said, get out of here. I said, you're completely full of it. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. These are LPFMs. They're FCC certified LPFMs and you're out of line. You have no proof that I'm illegal whatsoever. And he started citing chapter and verse of part 15, blah, blah, blah. And I said, go away. Well, I'm going to write an NOA. And I said, well, you do that. You do that. And when you come back, come back with the search warrant. I just threw him out. Mm -hmm. So after he left, I got a little concerned about my aggressiveness. So um, <laughs> Fritz Graham, who is a friend of ours who lives in Staten, who is a real supporter of what we were trying to do, works as an aide for Ron Wyden. So I called him up. I said, Fritz, I need some help. So I explained the whole story to him. And he said, oh, interesting. And I said, isn't uh, uh, Wyden on the FCC uh, pro, uh, Funding Appropriations Committee? <laughs> he said, yes, yes. I said, I need his help. I need to get somebody to call off the dogs on me. He said, I'll get back to you. So we exchanged information for about a month and then this inspector shows back up a couple of times with a, um, a field strength meter and tries to talk to me and, and I keep throwing him out and he says well you know I have the right to bring a sheriff here with me and I said well if you do that means you're going to have evidence because right now you don't and uh, so finally Wyden's office gets a hold of the head of the FCC. So how many visits is this now? Is this two? This is three. From Vancouver. Three. So he's really, yeah, he's a bloodhound in you. Yeah, exactly. So he's going to come down and shut this little mom and pop operation down. Mm -hmm. But I, I really had done my homework. I, I knew that I complied. Mm -hmm. The only area that was a technicality that he could cite me for was that this 40-foot tower that uh, we bought and put up, I ran a, a ground wire from the antenna down to the ground so in case there was a lightning strike you know it'd be safe mm -hmm. and it also takes care of any possible earth ground hum mm -hmm. technically part 15 of the lpam specifications of fcc specs say that your ground system can only be three foot and uh, that kind of limits the height you can do things at. Mm -hmm. he had a technicality 
but the his his boss, the head of the FCC, was trying to get him to come down and lower his tone a little bit and try to get him to negotiate with me. So it was a win-win situation. They could put the fire because he was getting a lot of heat from Wyden's office. And the he said, well, look, he said, technically your, your ground wire that you got right <laughs> from your antenna this ground is too long. You need to shorten it by three foot. I said, well, there's nothing up there for me to connect it to. He said, well, you can use an air ground. And I said, look, I know something about electronics. An air ground is not the same as an earth ground. He said, but it'll, it'll make you compliant so I don't have to write you an NOA. And I said, okay. So if I disconnect the ground from it, retune the transmitter and the antenna to 100 milliwatts, you'd be happy with that? He said, oh, yeah. I said, will you put that in an email and send it to me? If you do, I'll go ahead and do that. He said, done. So away he leaves. And within a day, I got this email from him talking about our agreement. So I sent that to Fritz. And I sent it with a note. He wants me to disconnect my ground. And you know, if I'm on the air or somebody else is on the air and we get a lightning strike and there's no ground to receive that lightning, I said, I'm going to get my ass electrocuted mm -hmm. and it's probably going to burn my building down. I said, is that legal? And he laughed. He said, oh, good one. He said, I'll get back to you. So he went back to Wyden. Wyden went to the FCC with it. You know, suddenly... It all went away. It got real quiet. Nice. And they left us alone. Yeah, small man fights a man. Uh, well, it was a good lesson in civics for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. My question is, who was that public servant actually serving? It sounds like he was serving radio stations. Um, I don't want to mention Clear Channel. Oh, well, shit. But, uh, so yeah, they, they I, own a few more senators than you did. You're lucky. You think? You, yeah. Of course, they did go belly up because, you know, it was an ambitious plan and the Internet happened. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, a, a little later on, I, I took I, I got an opportunity to buy uh, KYAC, which is a thousand watt AM station. It's been in state and forever. And I did take it over for about six months and so that actually gave us uh, enough watts to have a voice there but when i finally gave it all up to move um i donated all that studio gear to k k uh, kmuz and that was their studio startup mm -hmm. here so it really served us well and served them well yeah yeah and that's that's a i, I can't really get it because i'm on the other side of the hill from the gardens so I, I'm right. in a canyon up Water Street, and, you know, I don't get much in the way of good radio signals from small radio over here. But here's, here's the thing. You can get it on Internet, but by radio. In the mornings, Monday through Friday, I simulcast my morning show from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on KMUZ out of Salem, mm. 1.7, and you can get it. Oh, there you go. I could, yeah. Well, I used to listen to your show driving in. Uh -huh. So once you get out into the valley, well, yeah, that's what it was. It was your, sh so that's the simul, I was listening to the simulcast. 
So on my drive into the morning, I was, I think I was listening to KMUZ and you do, you do a lot of bluegrass in the morning and and folk. Every Wednesday is my all bluegrass morning. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday is traditional country with a mix of contemporary folk and Americana. Yeah. And Fridays I do singers and songwriters, which is a mix of everything good. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they they do broadcast it, and we've been very fortunate because it it gives our radio station some credibility, and it gives us an extra push for issues that we have up here to people in the canyon that sort of forget about us. Mm-hmm. This area is sort of like the redheaded stepchild of Lynn and Marion County, so it's a good thing. Plus, KMUC staff bless their heart, and I know I work there. They don't get up early in the morning to do radio. They get up early in the morning to go to work. Yeah. So they did that morning guy. And Dave Hammock at AMEZ knows that I love doing the mornings. And he said, well, would you continue doing it for us? So we set up a internet uh, static ISP to get the link down to them in the mornings. And so I push a little button and, and overrides the board. And that's how my show gets into the Salem area. Oh, that's really cool. So it's good. how much radio are you doing a day? How many hours are you doing? I do, uh, I'm on air four days a week, four hours, or five days a week, four hours a day. And you're retired. What the hell is that? I know, and you're still Lutheran, aren't you? You'd quit that for a while. Oh, uh, five times. <laughs> I, I feel I feel They're, miserable at retirement. Just when now. you think you're out, they bring you back. <laughs> yeah, but I'm station manager and program director and news director because, you know, it's a small staff and we're all belong. Well, that part of the job, actually, it took me five years to figure out how to get funding to pay me something. So as long as I work hard and go out and hustle for the funding for the grant, I get a, a small stipend to be the station manager, but the 20 hours a week that I do on the air, that's like everybody else. It's all volunteer. We do it because we love it and we have big egos. Yeah. 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 You, you I, so I, I had a, I've had another radio guy on um, Charles McGrary, who's, he's out of Texas and he bought this Oki station. It's basically what he said is they just played like old country all the time. And it was all made for tractor guys up north of, uh, I think it was Dallas-Fort Worth. And so he just bought this northern stuff because he saw that there was a transition in, you know, the the suburbs had moved there. Right. So he started up a trad jazz station. Uh Uh-huh. Trad jazz and swing. And, yeah. And, you know, he he found a good market of, of... uh, buyers who wanted that class of people to come in and purchase their stuff and here you go I'm let my dog out go ahead and yeah so i mean he's he's an interesting guy he's, he's he's been following rock and roll forever and so he's on one of my shows charles mcgurry um well nice. yeah so radio it's interesting like the things that keep coming up for me um, in doing this podcast and the people that I talk to. So brewing keeps coming up. Music is ever present. Um, and then radio comes up a few times, but radio has become a rarer thing. But this is, this is ironic that I've, 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 you know, really kind of, I don't know if it's ironic, but it's, you know, two radio people. 
<laughs> in today's world. Well, you know, brewing comes up with you because you know Gus Frederick. Well, Gus is one of my connections to brewing, but other people that I've talked to have just been involved in brewing, and and it's just like, yeah. And Gus, Gus has brewed the most vile concoction I've ever had that I loved, and made me sick as hell. And it was called, <laughs> yeah, it was called Dragon's Blood Mead, and he made it with beets to make it red. Oh my yes, God. and he used poison oak honey to make the mead. And I got to tell you, I think the poison oak transferred because every time I drank that, I got just weird drunk, like a, a drunk that's just like everything's weird and spinning, and then I would get sick. But and and he, I and I thought I had some stories about moonshine, but not like mm. that. Man, that's pretty weird. Well, Gus was Gus is an explorer, yeah, and so yeah. he will he will explore anything, and 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 the palate was his. It was a delicious beer. I mean, it really was, and it was pretty. It had a a deep red foam on it, and and it 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 sparkled like a good mead, you know, like a champagne almost. And right. uh, it was it was really delicious, but it just it really messed you up, man. It it really messed you up hard. And uh, I mean, it was so good. I got sick on it once, and I went back to it again, thinking, "Well, I'll just moderate this time." Nope. No. <laughs> no. It was just it. It's not how much you had of it. It's just it. But he's gotten to making some really really good uh, things. Uh, we had a uh, God. A pear, we had a pear thing the other day that was just brilliant. And he's really kind of looked, you know, it's Gus. He's he's an explorer, but he's also going to look at his data and see what went wrong and kind of fix it and this, that, and the other. So his brewing has gotten a whole lot better over the years. Even though that was tasty and deadly, it was still good. But uh, he's just, yeah, it, nothing's killing me now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. I'll, I'll mention that to him next time I talk mm -hmm. with Gus. Funny. Dragon's blood. So, is there are are there some good brew pubs over in Silverton? You know, Silver Falls Brewing is doing a really really good job um, with their brews. I think they're they're exploratory. They're not stuck on one type. Um, they do find kind of the best of type, so they're smart about their flavors. Um, right. They are about community. And their space is designed in such a way that you can bring family. They support the local arts, you know. And then there's, you know, Max Places just to stay true and heavy, but it's not a brew pub. Correct. Uh, we just opened up Ratchet Brewing. Brewing, But, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm drinking, I'm going to be on my bike or I'm walking. And Ratchet is on the opposite side of town from me. So, uh, uh, so a dangerous bike walk. Well, too long. Yeah, too long for either. You know, even even if I've been drinking, I'll bike into town, but I'm not, you know, if I've been drinking, I'm not going to bike back sometimes. I'm just like, yeah, sure. I don't know how stable I am. I'm I'm already feeble. I'm old. I'm not even old. You're old. But you are just like alive. So what about that? Like you are, you said what, 72? I'm 73. I'll be 74 in October. 73, almost 74 years old. Yet you are vibrant and engaged. You're still doing things on it. On how many of your friends have just kind of like 
worked really hard their whole life and then retired and just went, yeah, and they got nothing. You go there and you talk to them and it's just like, wow, you're not as interesting as you used to be. Well, I don't know how many by the number, but I can tell you too many. And in fact, a friend of mine came by Wednesday and we sat out front here on my porch, a uh, shaded porch, and we played guitar on some Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about our circles of friends that uh, most of them have done that. They bought the rocking chair and they sat in it and died in mm-hmm. it because they, they weren't still active. Mm-hmm. And I, I refuse, you know, I'm going, I'm, by God, when I hit hell, I'm going to go and scream. And kick <laughs> and You've already determined it, huh? Well, you don't even yeah. need to see, see pay Peter. Hey, I've already figured it out. I know where my people are. And I'm, I'm basically, I'm agnostic, but I sure know where I'm at. Well, and where I've been. Here's the thing I've found about most agnostics and agnostics are people who have thought about it. And can't figure it out. Atheists are people who thought about it, but have more faith than I do, which has always been my problem with religion anyways. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I will admit that. But yeah, agnostic. Yeah, that's probably closer. But I but I still don't know. You know what I mean? I, I, I believe in energies I don't understand. I don't understand 5G, but we're talking to you through it right now. Right. Well, as I said earlier, uh, Paul Caves, who is one of uh, my friends who married us on the air and um, does a weekly program on uh, our station called Arts, Loggers, and Leftovers. And he's, well, he's a brilliant artist and he used to be a logger. I love it. And, I love it. Yeah. That's uh, Oregon in we, a nutshell, we, isn't it, though? Bingo. It really is. It really you is. cannot type somebody. You cannot go up to somebody and say, oh, he's got a ponytail and a fucking tie-dye and think he's not a Republican. You can't do that in Oregon. Right. No, it's it's very difficult. And we, he and I have, and, and, he, and he has a, a strong faith and belief in, uh, in the afterlife and Christianity. And uh, we joke with each other all the time about my being agnostic and he be Christian. And, and I've cautioned him about uh, proselytizing on the air and yeah uh, we don't need that rain- well he he reigns it back in for me and uh well, we joke about it and he kids me all the time he says okay ken you've got it figured out as an agnostic there's just enough doubt that you want to make sure you don't uh, burn up too quick when you go to hell right <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah. yeah i'm just hedging my bets i'm on yeah, the come line here bro there you go. <laughs> I'm on the come line for heaven. Yeah. yeah. And you know what happens eventually on the come line? They just get your, get your money back. Yeah. I, I, I've watched craps forever and I still look at it and go, I think I'm dumb because I don't understand it. There's got to be something going on here that I could figure out that would make it work for me, but I don't want to spend the money to figure that out. And <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. Give me ACDC or I'll go home. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. And, and I've been involved in gambling for so many years that, that you know, as as a perpetrator, you know, yeah. as, as an employee of the lottery. Right. And so I understand the implications of a bet. 
if you're betting on a video machine, you got a 86 to 92% chance that you're going to, that you're going to win. And what that means is over time, every spin loses you eight to 12 cents over hmm. time. And it's just math. But randomly, you can lose $20, put your next 20 in, and all of a sudden get 600 But the numbers will dictate out over time that they're going to get that $0.08 cents back. So quit while you're ahead. Yeah? Play randomly. Um, it does good things. It truly does. And that's the only thing that I could do in my heart to reconcile what I was doing, you know, right. promoting gambling. Um, it does truly do good things. So my ultimate world um, would be for everybody who's not really even a gambler to just buy, you know, mega bucks every week and maybe buy one for life every week. Just buy a couple things every week and you're going to support our schools. You're going to support our, our stream restoration. You're going to support our state parks. Literally, our state parks are completely funded with lottery dollars and we've been improving them with lottery dollars and we've been opening more of them, which means we get shared property in Oregon that all of us can use. So these are values that I appreciate. And yeah. just like all yin yang reality, because literally everything you do is some sort of, you know, consumption. You're going to consume somebody's time, labor, energy product. Right. Right. Um, so the challenge is what do you do? with your gains. And, and they, they had some really good commissioners when they started the lottery, Deb Potts being one of them. Um, and actually he was the um, senior commissioner. I forget that they call the, the chairman. I don't know. Anyway, he was um, Deb's Potts was his nickname because he identified with Deb's Deb's Potts. Right. He was a capitalist who believed in social welfare. He had um, a big line, a mining, or not mining, a big logging operation down in Southern Oregon. He was the senator from Jackson and Josephine counties, and he was the guy who kind of formulated who the lottery was. And he was a man of both capitalism and principle, and and so he wrote the mission. And one and the part about the mission that's really been challenging for the lottery the whole time has been to earn maximum profits. This is the last sentence in the mission. To earn maximum profits for the people of Oregon. And then it kind of flips itself almost like blind liberty. And it says commensurate with the public good. Uh -huh. So that commensurate clause within the clause. So it's, it's a double clause. That commensurate clause um, really puts the onus on the lottery to at least address the harm. Commensurate with right. the public good. And that's why there's always been a fund for problem gambling. Right. And for years, the lottery treated that clause with a wink and a nod. Yeah, 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 we're supposed to cover problem gambling, but we're re really here to make money. Uh, in the last few years, they've kind of taken it a lot more seriously. And they are working with the gambling commissions in um, Canada, and they're working with gambling commissions in, in America. And they're actually putting out really good material. Every single retailer has to go through some sort of actually has to go through uh, training on problem gambling and actually understand the impact that their product is having on their public. 
Right. I have talked to enough business owners of lottery that uh, I understand they've explained to me the training, but most of them kind of laugh at it and go, it's, it's pretty light and it's a, a, one of the priorities, one of the prerequisites for getting your certification, mm -hmm. getting your, um, your, your gaming available there. They said, but really not a lot of substance to mm -hmm. it. And I only know, well, I, I know that uh, uh, Glenn Damewood, mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's had to thumb a couple of people. He's had to turn them in because he, he could see that they were, absolutely ruining their families and he, he saw it and uh, but I don't, really don't know anybody else that's ever done that. that's just gone in like with a problem yep yeah the stories are pretty horrible um, I've gone to a few gamble problem gambling conferences and and people I mean it gets to the point of embezzlement and you know there was a county commissioner who was embezzling from a county I think out in uh, the Clackamas or um yeah, I think it was out in Clackamas County um, some years ago. And, and, and it ruins lives. It really does. I mean, people can get in so deep that it hurts. Um, that, that, you know, it hurts their ability to, to continue. They become homeless. All kinds of sad things happen. Right. But overall, I think the majority, so this is about 2.5% that create a, that are a problem. Um, overall, the majority see it as an entertainment and, and play it as such, you know, they're, they're 40 bucks a week they do. And that's the ideal thing. The ideal thing would be, you know, I, I, I go out on Friday nights and on Friday nights, I also have $40 to see if I can pay for my meal with a gambling. And if I can't pay for my meal, I lose 40 bucks. But if I can pay for my meal, yippee, you know, I have my buddy, I have a buddy who does that. He does 20. He's like, let's go see if I can get the lottery to pay for my meal. Right. You know. Well, I fortunately for me, Gary, uh, in nineteen eighty-six, I I quit everything uh, because I my life was a mess. I really didn't have much to show for it. I kept blaming my issues on everybody else. Mm -hmm. And some friends came to my house January first, nineteen eighty-six. And they had a little intervention with me and uh, they brought video from the night before. Mm. And they had all these stories and uh, I really, really, it, it was difficult, but they were right. And so I quit smoking pot and I got to remember, I, I'm, I'm a kid that went to Woodstock. Sure. And so I quit drinking and I had to quit smoking because it encouraged me to want to drink. Uh, I quit gambling. I really cleaned up. I did everything but went to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I just, I quit it. You did everything needed, but went to Jesus. <laughs> but I, but I got sober. I got to back in control 86. of me. Yeah, eighty six. And and since then, I've had four beers, maybe two glasses of wine. Mm. Absolutely no pot, which I miss the worst of anything. But I'm, I'm glad I did because I was able to turn myself around, mm -hmm. actually saving some money, mm. had a future, was really serious about the world of repair, and it was no longer uh, just a game. It was fun, and it was a business enterprise that I could see a future in. Mm -hmm. so, so for me, it worked, but I am not critical. 
of anybody who drinks or smokes or gambles, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. If they've got control of it and they think they got control of it, more power to them. Yeah. But for me, it was the smartest thing I ever did. Yeah, I don't think I've got control of it anymore. I, I used to have control of it. I'd be like, yeah, I'll have a drink. Then I'd go out and I'd do a bender. And then I would be like, yeah, I won't have a drink for a week or so. So I felt like I was in control. But since well, since this COVID's happened, it's like I kind of want to split my day up because this, you know, summers, long days. And uh, in the evening, you kind of want a different feel. And that's that's what I've been doing. It's just like medicating a different space. Well, I stay really busy. We bought a fixer-upper. Boy, howdy, is it a fixer-upper? Mm-hmm. If you watch my Facebook, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And when I go to bed at night, it's because I'm so damn tired from working, getting up at 4.15 in the morning for the radio station coming home by 10 30 11 o'clock jeez and uh, then working working on the house uh-huh. so when i sit down for dinner around six o'clock and then uh, get up from the dinner table sit down and watch a little bit of news doze off in front of the tv i'm done for the day <laughs> and this is a good feeling for me nothing put me out i didn't need a shot i didn't need a toke and, and don't get me wrong i miss those oh lordy i live for those but now it's an honest to goodness, okay, you've earned a good night's rest, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I uh, don't wake up with a hangover. I usually wake up with, God damn, that alarm is sure quick this morning. Mm-hmm. So, for, so for me, it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Only for me. Well, it probably is for most of us. I, you know, I don't think our chemicals are, you know, there for every day play and i and i think i do too much of that um but i you know i think they have their place i I definitely think they have their place um i don't know alcohol yeah i'm kind of 50 50 on it it does do some things for people who are socially awkward and helps them get better but it also turns assholes into bigger assholes (laughs) amen Gary, uh, I've got about five minutes. That's exactly where we're scheduled. Okay, because I've got a Zoom conference I have to go to. Here. Excellent. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. We've, Thank we've, you, Gary. We've, we've learned a lot. And um, you inspire me, actually. I, I'm, I'm looking at you, and I'm seeing all that you do, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's about having a vibrant life. It's about having a life that's important to you that sparks your cylinders that when you get the fuel of life coming into it, you can fire off and you can just keep going and and age becomes this irrelevant thing. Well, musicians, entertainers, artists have always uh, rejuvenated me and they've led an interesting life. And I'm curious I've I've lived a part of that life, so I've been there, done that, mm-hmm. had the t-shirts for it, and the canceled checks. Mm-hmm. The but they're such interesting. They're such interesting people, and that's what keeps me going. Is everybody's got a story? You, yeah, I've known you for forever. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, here and there, we've kind of bumped in, haven't we? Yep, and and you've got stories, and and I love that, mm-hmm. and you're willing to share them, and that's that's the beauty of 
of uh, a very special relationship. So I'm, I'm flattered that you wanted to sit and talk. I've learned a lot about you tonight, too. Yeah, this has been a glorious experience. And, I, I, you know, I'd like to thank you for coming out tonight. So today, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my guest tonight has been Ken Cartwright. If you haven't got that by now, then you haven't been listening closely. Um, Ken is a luthier. He's also just a man who's been around long enough to know the best ideas about things. And I've really appreciated our time with him today. And I definitely don't want to be an, uh, an FCC man walking into his shop. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, we with this station we have that's fully licensed by the FC, FCC, we play it right on the money. Every document's work needs to be, uh, the wattages are right where they're supposed to be. And when I train DJs to work in the station, and we've done many, they all learn the FCC law. Yeah. I tell them my yeah. story. We have a laugh. But I say, you know, they know my name. They know my address. They've got my <laughs> They got your number. Yeah, they and do. If, and if you're the reason they call me, we're going to have a serious talk. So, you know, it's it's all good. It's all good. They ain't got Clear and Channel to mess with anymore. <laughs> uh, there is justice in this world. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Gary, it's been a lot of fun, buddy. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I want to get you on my station. Oh, I'd days. love it. Have, yeah. You have to watch your language on that. Oh, yeah. Language. Yeah, I can do that. I don't have the delay. Yeah. I need a, I need a mute for like when I cough, but I, and my head, the headphones I ordered didn't have one, but they do noise cancel, which ah. is excellent. Right. But, anyways, I, I'm flattered that you asked me to be on your show anytime and i do thank you so much and i'm glad you're doing your podcast keep it going oh i will it feels like community radio i didn't actually start out feeling like it thinking it would be community radio but mm -hmm. every time i have somebody who's on my show they're typically people in the community and it connects to those people in the community so it's it's a different approach but it feels like community radio and i think that's probably how i'm going to monetize it do you have server stats so you know where what your audience is? So there's so podcasts are weird. You can get a lot of listens and not have a true audience. Right. So I have a true audience of about 25. And I've had about right. 1500 shares or, or listens. Where do your podcasts uh where's home for your podcasts if people want to get to them? So home is Spotify. Home is Apple Podcast. Home is is uh, Breaker. Home is uh, Google Podcasts, and I think I might be on a few others. I'm also starting up a YouTube channel where I'm actually going to take these podcasts if they're under two hours and broadcast them on on uh, YouTube um, for um, for for your listening pleasure. And what they will be is just basically a static picture with the text coming on as you're listening to the show. And I, right. my understanding is people like that. They like some YouTube stuff. So I've started a YouTube channel. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I wish you well, my friend. And again, thank you so much for inviting me on. I've had a ball. Me as well. Thank you, Mr. Ken Cartwright. Have a great day. You all know what to do. Love, follow, and share. And also, I got the YouTube channel. So follow that. I need some followers on that. All right. Love you all. All right. Peace Good, out. Night. Good night, listeners. And uh, thanks, Gary. Thank you, Good night. Jen. Bye.
Hey y'all, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents Podcast. Today my guest is Ken Cartwright. Ken Cartwright is a luthier, that means he fixed stringed instruments. He is also a radio man, has been in several different radio stations throughout his life, and uh, we've got some really good stories in this one. I really enjoyed this, glad to have been able to interview Ken, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it too. Listen up, you know the rules, listen, love, follow, and share. Let's do this, baby.